0: On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about the Celtics and their new coaching hire and what that means for the future of the team. We'll also take a look at the Kemba Walker-Al Horford trade that happened at the end of last week, Um, and then we will also give you guys an update on the NBA playoffs. Both the East and West are in the conference finals. We'll give you some other news and notes from around the NBA as some coaching coaching hires from other teams have also happened. Uh, we will get to the Bruins and talk about what uh, my thoughts are for an ideal off season and what that could possibly look like. Uh, we will also take a look at my first draft of, uh, an expansion draft prediction. So we will get to that. We'll get to the uh, Stanley cup playoffs. The Canadians are in the Stanley cup finals. So we'll break down the, uh, that series that they just won. We'll talk about the game seven tonight between the Islanders and the lightning. And then we will also get to some news and notes from around the NHL. Then we will get to baseball, talk about the Red Sox and the Rays just wrapped up a three game series. So we'll talk about all the things that happened um, in this three game series. We'll also check in on Chris sales. He appears to be getting a little closer. Take a look at how the Red Sox are doing, hitting and pitching wise, Um, We'll also get to the uh, foreign substance issue that is uh, now becoming kind of a a bit of an issue, so we'll talk about that. Uh, We'll get to some news and notes from around baseball, including uh, Dustin Pedroia's retirement ceremony that will take place tonight at Fenway. Uh, We will also get into the NFL, talk about some notes from around the league. We'll also get to Carl Nassib as well, Um, and then we will get to, at the end of the show, get to some soccer, get to some uh, European Championship update. The round of 16 starts tomorrow, so we'll talk about some of the games. We'll also give you guys an update on the Revolution. They are back, and they are uh, still really hot. So we'll talk about them, and then we'll talk about the WNBA as well. So without further ado, let's go. going on everyone uh welcome to the program it's not your average boston sports podcast i'm your host garrett hayden and uh today guys we got a lot uh, a lot to get to um plenty of celtics a lot of news that's happened in the last week or so um you know coaching hire trade a lot to get into there a lot to get into uh, with the bruins as well as the you know offseason is Getting, getting a little closer, you know, give you guys updates on uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, NBA playoffs, all that. Um, before we get into everything, um, you can always follow the podcast on Twitter, at NotBoston. You can also follow the Facebook page as well. Um, you can also uh, listen to the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to... Um, Give a rating and a review if you want. Um, Subscribe, like, all those things. Um, So, Celtics obviously been in the news a lot in the last week. Um, You know, plenty of news about where they were going in terms of the coaching hire. Um, And finally, Celtics make a decision. Ime Udoka is the new Celtics head coach. Um, So... think what what we know about him at the moment is was a longtime assistant um, under Greg Popovich in San Antonio Um, actually had played in San Antonio I think later late in his career Um, also had had been an assistant coach with the Sixers last year and then with the Nets this past year so part of obviously part of the Popovich coaching tree, if you will. Um, so I don't really know too much. And, you know, I think a lot of us aren't really going to know too much about his coaching style. Um, but I think that, you know, he's a coach that I think should try to kind of bring back that defensive intensity uh, that the Celtics were missing for, for most of the season. So, you know, I expect that that's one of the big things that, you know, is more of an emphasis, that it's, you know, the effort and the intensity and the energy that needs to come from the defensive end. Um, and so I think, you know, also there's the added relationship of, you know, him being an assistant coach on that um, USA basketball team from two years ago that um, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker... Uh, we're all on, and, you know, there's a previous relationship there, and, you know, also, it seems like those three Celtics players that were on that team, you know, three current Celtics players, you know, are very, were, you know, uh, talked to in terms of the coaching, that they were, you know, involved in the process, and it seemed like, you know, the common denominator was Coach Udoka, and these guys really want him to coach, and, you know, I think that that says a lot that, You know, the Celtics definitely have made the right decision. You know, I think that it's... um, He really checks all the boxes. You know, former NBA player. um, There's some connection to guys on the team. Um, He's a person of color, which I think is really important for this Celtics team that I think um, can be someone that can be easily more easily relatable uh, to some of the players. Um, But I also just think he's had experience being an assistant coach and you know being under some you know pretty good coaches you know if you consider Popovich so um, I think that it's it's a lot of positives here Uh, I think that the Celtics you know didn't overthink this I don't think you know I think that they took their time but they didn't take too long and you know once they identified who it is they really wanted that that's who they stuck with and you know, didn't try to interview too many people and, you know, didn't have too expansive of a search. You know, I think there probably were a lot of names that were considered, but I think ultimately, you know, they probably got down to about three or four names, you know, Udoka being one of them. Um, But then at a certain point, just being comfortable with the decision, consulting with some of the players and, you know, pulling the trigger, making that decision. Um, So I think that I don't really know what to expect from him as a coach. You know, I think based on what I've heard, it seems like he's someone who um, can be, you know, fiery when he needs to be and, you know, get guys motivated when they need to be. But, you know, also being someone that can be a, 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 a good listener for some players, you know, with, with, if there are, you know, things that a coach needs to be, a coach needs to be relatable to the players this day and age. Um, and so I think that that's important too. So um, it'll be interesting, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what type, what differences that we see in Coach Udoga compared to Brad Stevens. You know, what type of offense, you know, is the offense any different? You know, I'd be curious to see. But I think that, you know, based on what we've seen so far, in terms of Brad Stevens, the the new GM, if you want to call him for you know, President Basketball Operations, whatever you want to call him, that he is making these decisions with the idea that it's supporting your star players, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And I think that's what these two moves tell you that they've made in the last week, that they are all about supporting the best players on the team, which is what, you know, decision-making should go into every single decision you make when you are, you know, building this roster for next season that it's the idea that it's supporting the best players. And I think that that's really the key thing. So as we move on to the other, you know, big news that came out a week ago, it's kind of crazy. You know, I said this to someone the other day. It feels like it's been three weeks since I've recorded a podcast because so much has happened. Um, So obviously a week ago, uh, the announcement that the Celtics uh, trade Kemba Walker, A first round pick and a second round pick, I think, you know, a number of years later for Al Horford, um, uh, Moses Brown, young player from the uh, Thunder, um, and a second round pick, you know, years later. So essentially, you know, three pieces for three pieces, you swap Walker for, for Horford, Moses Brown for a first round pick, and then, you know, you swap second round picks, you know, years later, 2025, 2023, I don't remember exactly what the years were but you know I think that this is this is something that I don't think came as a surprise what came as a surprise to me is that they were able to find a team that would be willing to take on you know Kemba's contract you know a team that would be willing to take on you know a big time contract and I think the Thunder honestly made a lot of sense because you know they're a team that there's not a lot of salary you know, being made on that on that roster, you know, when you consider some of the players that they have. Um, and so swapping, you know, Horford for Kemba Walker, not necessarily the worst thing in the world, but they also get a first round pick out of it. So um, I think that it, it made sense for both sides, you know, and the Celtics bring back a, an old friend in Al Horford who, you know, understands what it's, what it's like to succeed in Boston, you know, what, what's expected of him that he's going to do you know, everything that you ask of him and, you know, I think do his best to facilitate for Jalen and Jason, you know, and be there as, you know, kind of a voice, but then also be someone that, you know, while he's 35 years old, you know, can still contribute in a somewhat significant way. You know, I don't think that you're going to see him starting, you know, 70 games and, um you know, scoring 15 points a game. You're not going to see that from him. You know, you might see him average 10 or 12 points per game, five or six rebounds, and, you know, three or four assists. You know, he's someone that can do everything, that he's got a skill set that still can be effectively utilized in this modern NBA. You know, a guy that can still stretch the floor, a guy who can still distribute the ball, and someone who's going to be a good voice on the bench, for your young players, you know, and I know that we've talked about it a few times in this podcast. But Jalen and Jason, while they're stars, they're still young, you know. And I think bringing back someone like Horford, who you know the two of them respect, because you know Horford was on this team when they were you know up and coming rookie, second year player, you know, whenever it was. Um, but I think that it's it's a it's a smart move, you know. I think that the Celtics, it's obvious that the Celtics and Kemba Walker. You know, we're preparing to have a split. Um, but I think the Celtics did a good job at finding a good trade partner. You know, bringing in someone, you know, you were, have to gonna, you were going to have to bring in someone on a big salary. Um, and I think that they made the right choice with, with Horford. Not really sure what other op- options would have been out there. But you make a decision that I think makes sense. It maybe doesn't make you better on paper at the moment. But it's an important trade because it gives you some financial flexibility. This summer may allow you to re-sign Evan Fournier, you know. And next summer, Horford's contract um, for next so Horford's contract for this season, you know, is like twenty-eight million, I want to say. And then you know, the second year of his contract is only partially guaranteed. So that that means the Celtics, you know, could have plenty of room next summer to possibly bring in a max free agent, you know, someone like a Bradley Beal or someone that's going to be a free agent. So I think that it's a trade that makes sense in a number of different ways. And he didn't even talk about Moses Brown, who I think honestly might be somewhat of a decent bench player, you know, while it'll be interesting to see how much he plays, you know, I think there's a possibility that, you know, you see him play like taco minutes that he doesn't necessarily play a lot, but I think he's worthy of a project player who can develop into, you know, a solid, a solid bench player that can, you know, rebound really well. That can be a really good defensive player. You know, he had a 20-20 game against the Celtics earlier this season, so that clearly tells you that he has some some talent. So um, I think that it's 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 a good trade. I know that there are some people that. Uh, weren't happy about losing a first-round pick, but, you know, as I've said, this Celtics team doesn't really need any more young draft pick talent. You know, I think that they're in a position that they need to start, you know, putting older veteran guys on their bench, because I think that's going to be far more useful to you than a first-round pick who, you know, most likely is not going to get you know, it, it, it's a project player because it's like, it's the 16th overall. It's not like you're trading a top 10 pick. You know, you're trading a pick who, you know, most likely is not going to be someone who's going to make an impact right away. And I think the Celtics have identified that, okay, you know, let's bring in a player like Moses Brown, who's probably a little more polished than anyone that you could draft in the first round, um, but also someone that's had some NBA experience while it's not been a lot. It's at least something that you can build off. Of. So, you know, I'm not really going to get upset about losing a first round pick. You know, 16th overall is not really anything that serious. You know, might be a different story if this was a top 10 pick, um, but it's not. So um, also, if you want to um, hear more about my, you know, take on Al Horford rejoining the Celtics, uh, you can read my latest article at Garrett Hayden Sports Media uh, shared the link on on Twitter yesterday and on Facebook, so you can uh, find it there if you want. Um, so I think, you know, moving forward for the Celtics in the offseason, I think it's uh, really about, you know, identifying key bench players that you want to bring back, that you want to bring in. Um, you know, what players can you trade? What players are possibly going to leave in free agency? You know, I think that they have a couple of Um, like exceptions, you know, that they could bring in players on, you know, vet minimum type of stuff. So I would expect that they do some stuff like that. Um, I think that's going to be the best. You know, I think I've said this before, but I think that, you know, identify the young players that you want to keep on the roster. Um, In my opinion, I think that that's Langford, uh, Pritchard, and Aaron Neesmith, you know, see what, you know, Coach Udoka is thinking, possibility that he brings in, um, a whole stat, whole new staff of assistant coaches. That's something to keep your eye on. Um, and then as the season finishes, you know, the draft, I don't believe the Celtics have a pick in the draft. They might have a second round pick. There's a possibility that they could trade into the first round if there's a talent that they like. Um, you know, I think that you could consider trading some people. Um, so I think that, again, it's the idea of surrounding your star players with the best talent. I think that that's what needs to be the priority and it seems like it is the priority so far. you know acquiring a player that is gonna is gonna help the, the young guys and bringing in a coach that the star player the key players on your team support. and so I think that Brad Stevens has made two really good decisions. you know we'll see what else. Um, he can do is the, you know, the summer gets closer for agency gets closer. Um, so before we, or actually, no, I was going to say before we, no, there's nothing I have to do before. Um, we'll talk about the NBA playoffs. Obviously conference finals have been underway, uh, the last couple nights. The West has already played three games in their conference final series, thanks to the, um, the couple of game sevens in the Eastern Conference, um, so yeah, a lot has changed since uh, we last uh, spoke to you guys about a week ago, um, as things were getting really interesting. So the Bucks obviously are able to win the series. They play the Hawks in Game Two of that Eastern uh, the, the Eastern Conference Finals tonight. I don't want to spend any time looking at what happened, you know, in the span of a week, but. You know, what a wild finish to both of those Eastern Conference semi-series. Um, I was shocked. I was shocked that the Hawks were able to beat the 76ers. You know, it really looked like the series is over, you know, at at, at 3-2 or, or 2-2. And then the Sixers take that big lead in Game 5. And you're thinking, okay, you know, they've taken control of the series. Um, so kudos to Atlanta for coming back in that Game 5. Um and then winning that game seven um, on the road. Um, and the Sixers obviously are, um, it, you know, at a point that I think is interesting. You know, they say that um, Ben Simmons is not, or is going to be a part of the team going going forward, but, you know, we'll see how long that lasts. I think that that's a really interesting team to kind of keep your eye on this summer. Um, so the Hawks keep that going in game one and beat the Bucs. Um, you know, Trey Young has been incredible. You know, and we talked about him a week or two weeks ago and just how special he's been and how quickly he has, you know, entered into superstardom. You know, this Hawks team winning game one against the Bucks. This team's three wins from the NBA finals. This team sat at fourteen and twenty. Um, you know, almost midway through the season, you know, fired Lloyd Pierce and I'll be honest, and you guys are I might remember. A couple months ago, I was concerned about the Hawks as a franchise and where they were going, you know, letting go of a coach and having a young nucleus and how they would react. And holy cow, they've reacted better than I think anyone could have ever imagined. And that probably includes diehard Hawks fans, you know, that were so that were optimistic about this team. Um, But Coach McMillan, Nate McMillan deserves so much credit for turning this team around, but it's also the players. They've also done incredibly well. Trey Young is, you know, matured before our eyes and, you know, looks, looks, dare I say it, looks like Steph Curry, the way that he's, you know, making those deep threes, but also setting guys up. You know, he's a lot more than just a guy who can knock down a 35-foot three. You know, he's a guy that can be an effective ball distributor as well. Um, and a guy that can knock down shots in key times. You know, he struggled a lot in that Game 7 against the Sixers, but he made enough plays down the stretch. You know, and I think that there definitely is something to be said for that. Now the Bucks, on the other hand, you know, losing a Game 1 at home, definitely not the end of the world, but it looked like they definitely were in control. Trey Young makes a lot of plays late in that game. And I think for the first the first time, maybe not the first time, you know, the Bucks seemed to kind of be on the ropes. You know, it really looked like they were on the ropes late in that Nets series, you know, after Durant put up that uh, nearly 50-point triple-double, um, and I just didn't think that they were going to be able to come back, but they did, you know, got a big win in Game 6 and then made enough plays down the stretch in Game 7 uh, to beat the Nets. So you have two teams that really have been through a lot in the last couple of weeks, Um, But I think that you're seeing you're seeing a a Hawks team that is just, you know, maturing right before our eyes that, you know, typically you don't see a team burst onto the scene with young players and go this deep in the playoffs because typically at a certain point, you know, they run into a team that's more experienced, you know, kind of knows knows what they're doing and they lose in five games. You've not seen that yet with the Hawks. Um, I really thought it was going to be last series. I really thought the Sixers were going to beat them, um, but credit to them, you know, they didn't quit. Um, and I think that, you know, it's interesting because it seems like the Hawks are now, you know, playing like they're comfortable and that's a scary thing for the Bucks right now. So um, in game two, you know, Chris Middleton didn't have a great game one, you know, I think look for him to rebound, you know, I think Giannis was really solid for the Bucks. uh, Drew Holiday, I almost said Trey Holiday, uh, Drew Young, or Drew Holiday, <laughs> Drew Holiday had a really good game one. I think he had 30 points as well, but, you know, the Bucks really need points from wherever they can get them, you know, and I'm, I know that I'm, you know, glossing over this, but, you know, Trey Young had 48 points in game one, you know, nearly had 50 points. He, you know, and John Collins hooked up for a number of alley-oops, especially in the fourth quarter, and it's just like, You know, you watch plays like that. and You watch the chemistry that two guys have. And it's one of those things where you knew that something like that was happening and you still couldn't stop it. You know, you saw Trey Young go, you know, off the backboard and feed it to Collins and dunk it. Like, made that look so easy. So, you know, that's the story in the Eastern Conference Finals. Hawks win Game 1. Game 2 is tonight, 8.30 on TNT. Bucks really need to have this game. I really think they cannot afford to go down 0-2 and go on the road to Atlanta. That's going to be uh, really hopping this weekend. So um, getting to the West, the Suns taking the first two games against the Clippers, both really good games in games one and two. Uh, Phoenix playing really well without Chris Paul in those first two games. Cameron Payne, I mean, I have never seen a player like that just get thrust into the starting lineup. And in any other context, he would never start, but looks so comfortable. It was unbelievable how well he played um, in the first two games, you know, those, those driving layups. Um, it just It just goes to show you how well that Phoenix team is coached and, you know, how good of a unit they are together. Um, so they take advantage of those first two home games, you know, outstanding games, outstanding products in those first two games. Uh, Devin Booker obviously goes off in Game 1, 40 points. Um, and then, you know, Game 2, Phoenix gets the winning alley-oop on the Aitons, on Aitons dunk. Paul George missing a couple free throws, but, you know, when it all looked doom and gloom for the Clippers once again, they came back and won Game 3 last night, 106-92. Uh, Important to note that Chris Paul uh, did play last night for Phoenix, but uh, the Clippers obviously too much. Uh, Paul George has played incredibly well in in these playoffs. I think you've got to give him credit, especially considering that they're down Kawhi Leonard, who, you know, in my opinion, I don't know if you see him um, the rest of the playoffs, if we're being perfectly honest. So um, kudos to him, kudos for the Clippers. But they've been getting great performances from um, some guys that you honestly wouldn't expect it from. You know, Reggie Jackson has been unbelievable in the playoffs. He's definitely due for... Um, a big contract this summer. Um, you know, Marcus Morris has played well when he's been in there. You have guys like Luke Kennard, Nick Batum, who have knocked down a lot of key shots. Um, you just have so many guys working so well in concert. And you even have a guy like Terrence Mann, who second-round draft picked two years ago, and he dropped 39 points in that game six against the against the Jazz. So, you know, the Clippers, while maybe don't have as much star power, you know, without Leonard, they still have just played so well with each other. And a lot of credit goes to Ty Lu. You know, I think that he's done a tremendous job this season. You know, this Clippers team down 0-2 in consecutive series, and they come back to win, you know, when, you know, being the story that they blew the 3-1 lead in the, in the semifinals, in the conference semis last season. Um, so a lot of credit goes to him and the Clippers you know, are not going to go away. And, you know, clearly with that win last night at home, you know, by 14, I think that the series is is far from over. You know, I think Chris Paul, probably not like totally 100% last night. Um, but I think, you know, once that happens, I think you could see a, a series that goes a real a down to the wire and is really exciting. Um, but good for the Clippers. Get that win last night, game four of that series will be tomorrow at nine on ESPN. Um, so as we take a look at some other notes from around the NBA of a couple coaches that have been hired um, just now, I think just about 20 minutes ago, the uh, Mavericks have announced that they have um, finalized a deal for Jason Kidd to become their new head coach. Um, so that's the the news in Dallas. It'd be interesting to see the relationship between him and Luca and um, as obviously there was a big shakeup in Dallas, obviously Rick Carlisle being fired and that are walking away. Um, And then, you know, Donnie Nelson uh, walking away as well. So, you know, that's an organization that I think is really going to be interesting to see what happens with them. You know, I think they look to trade Porzingis this off season. Um, I just don't think that, I just don't think it's, it's, it works. You know, I think that, Porzingis is a guy that obviously has tremendous talent, but I just think it just might not be better. It might not be best utilized with this Dallas team. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what, you know, Jason Kidd does. Um, also, they hired um, Nico Collin, or Nico Harrison, who is um, an executive with Nike, I believe. So he will work in their front office. Uh, so it'll be interesting, you know, interesting to see what that hire means for the Mavericks. Um, you know, we briefly mentioned about Ben Simmons. You know, I think the Sixers have, you know, tried to say that, you know, they'll, they'll work with him and that they'll keep him. Um, it, it's just, it's interesting because, you know, of how, how much money he makes. You know, when you consider, I think, that deal that maybe he signed last... I, I forget how recently it was. Um, but he's a guy that, you know, is making $30 million and, you know, teams that want to trade for him, you know, need to have a contract that goes back that's close to that. Um, and so I think, you know, logically, I don't know how, you know, a team like, let's say the Lakers is going to be able to do that trade, you know, because obviously if you have LeBron, Anthony Davis, that makes a lot of money. But, you know, you don't really have a lot of serious salary. On that Lakers team, so you know, I, I don't know how they'd make how they'd make the trade work. How another team would make the trade work because Simmons is making uh, thirty million over the next five years. So it'd be curious to see you know what goes on, but I I don't know you know I don't know if he gets moved. I think that if it's between him and Embiid, I really don't know you know who would get moved. But I think it's obvious that. You know, there needs to be some type of change, Uh, whether he needs to, Ben Simmons needs to change his shooting hand. You know, I don't know what they have to do, but it's like you had a pretty good, you had it pretty good this playoffs. You know, you go into a game seven against an Atlanta Hawks team that you should have beaten, you know, and then you had a team like the Nets go down. It's like all was, all was working out for the Sixers. You know, but it just for whatever reason doesn't work. I'm not sure really where they go from here. Um, so you know, I think that that's really the biggest thing in terms of you know player movement rumors. Uh, Rick Carlisle uh, mentioned him uh, leaving the Mavericks. He has been, now been hired as the new coach, or well, new newest coach of the Indiana Pacers. He uh, was previously a coach in Indiana in the mid 2000s. Uh, 2003 to 2007. So uh, he's back for his second tour of duty in Indiana. I mean, that's an interesting team too. You know, that's a team that has kind of a similar nucleus to the Hawks, you know, and I don't know really what the issue was with uh, Bjorkgren this past season as he was just the coach for one season and, you know, really wasn't, really wasn't a, a, a good fit. And so I'd be curious to see, you know, what things look like in Indiana this season. You know, they're a team that I think really underachieved this past season. So curious to see if they, you know, are any different uh, this season. So that, um, I think, probably does it for um, NBA. Obviously mentioned the games coming up. Game game two of the East Finals are tonight on TNT. So uh, tune into that if you would like. So Now we're going to get into some NHL. Now, bear with me. I know that we have a lot to talk about in terms of the games that have been happening. You know, there's a Game 7 tonight. There's a team that's in the Cup Final. There's a lot to talk about there. But this is a Boston podcast, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the Bruins and give you guys a little bit of a preview for uh, what I think their most ideal offseason could look like. Um, Now, I'm sure that we'll have conversations about this, you know, for weeks into the summer, might bring in a guest to talk about what they think. Um, But I think I've identified some players that I think that they should look at um, and contracts that they could potentially give out to uh, some free agents that I think they should bring in uh, to try to get this team where it needs to be. So, you know, I think that obviously, you know, I've mentioned a few times that it seemed like the Bruins went out a little too soon, you know, and unfortunately the lack of depth on defense got exposed. And I think the Bruins really have to reevaluate what they have in terms of the blue line, you know, and getting guys who are going to be reliable guys who are, you're not going to worry about when they're on the ice that, you know, you're not worried about them getting hurt and this and that. So Obviously, that was a big issue in the Islanders series, but it also was a big issue that the Bruins really couldn't get consistent scoring from everyone on the roster. And that's something that I think you should notice when you watch, you know, all these teams that are still alive. They've all gotten proper secondary scoring. They've gotten goals from not just their top guys, but guys lower on their lineup. You know, you look at a team like Montreal, and we'll get to them in a moment. But you have guys like Eric Stahl and Corey Perry that are turning back the clock and playing really good hockey and giving them production. And meanwhile, the Bruins had a third line that, you know, wasn't effective really doing anything. You know, you had some guys bench, you had some guys that were really quiet and you're not going to win a cup that way. You're not going to win a cup with just two lines, you know, and then the problem was the top two lines, you know, slowed down a little bit, which is going to happen you're not going to have your top two lines being unbelievable the entire postseason. You know, you need to get something and the Bruins never did from their other lines. You know, and the point was you need to have a third line that can produce when, you know, your top guns are, you know, being shut down defensively. So, you know, it just seemed like all the flaws came exposed. And I think that the Bruins, need to do a job, need to do a better job this off season of really identifying guys who, you know, can make a difference, putting guys into position, putting guys into the best positions that they can to succeed. So um, I think looking at their free agents, so, you know, I've been, I utilized uh, Cap Friendly's uh, armchair GM feature, which is uh, really cool if you're into into hockey, definitely check that out. So this is what I did earlier in the week. You know, took a look at the free agents, signed some guys. So, uh, bear with me here because there's a lot to unpack. But um, Bruins obviously with a guy like Brandon Carlo, who talked about in an article two weeks ago, um, that he's going to be a restricted free agent. So I think it makes sense for the Bruins to bring him back. I had him back on a four-year deal worth about three point five million a year. Um, I think that you know him making just under $3 million last season. You know, I think it makes sense for the Bruins to keep him for a decent amount of time. I think that he could get a longer deal than this. You know, I think I could see him getting up to six years. I think that's a possibility. Um, so again, you know, I will just say as kind of di- of a disclaimer, you know, these are just kind of rough estimates of what I think the players could get. You know, it's not like this player is going to get exactly this for exactly this much money. They're going to get, you know, this year's, this many years for this much money. You know, it's kind of just kind of a, a rough thing. So, you know, please don't take this too seriously. Um, so in terms of other restricted free agents, you know, I think the Bruins, I, I you know, I think I've gone back and forth on, on on Nick Ritchie a few times, but I just think the the lack of playoff production is, kind of a problem for me, and so I don't want the Bruins to re-sign him, but I think that they will, Um, so this is just me basically taking over Don Sweeney's job and being like, you have to do all these things, so me personally, I wouldn't re-sign Nick Ritchie, you know, I think that you kind of got to get someone who's a little bit more consistent in terms of the point production, now he did set a career high in goals this season, that's fair, Um, but I just think that you didn't make enough of a difference when you really needed him to. And him as a big body, he didn't really make a difference in that Islanders series, which is, you know, a series that you would figure he would make an impact in and he didn't really. So, um, I think that the Bruins don't re-sign him. I don't think they re Kasha either. I just think that, you know, he may have played his last game in the NHL. Um, I really think that for his, for his sake, Maybe he should just retire because he's had a lot of health issues. He's only 25 years old. So, um, you know, I think that you don't want to risk it getting worse by playing further. But again, that's just kind of my opinion. Um, As far as another restricted free agent, I think the Bruins bring back Trent Frederick. Bring him back two years, uh, one million. So I'm going to go through restricted free agents. Then I'll go through um, anything else that makes sense. So my other restricted free agent signing um, involved... The Bruins actually making a trade for this particular player, um, and then signing him to a significant deal. So, uh, one of a mock trade that I put together. Um, now, again, keep in mind, you know, let's not freak out about this. You know, that it's just kind of my thoughts about a player that they could possibly acquire. Um, so, my proposal package, whatever you want to call it, is uh and Jake DeBrusque, and a second-round pick in 2022 uh, to Minnesota for Kevin Fiala, who is scheduled to become a restricted free agent. Um, So in this scenario, I'd have the Bruins making this trade for Kevin Fiala's uh, restricted free agent rights, and then the Bruins giving him um, a contract. So why I think he is a good fit is because he's a guy that is – um, really started to play well the last few years. Um, he was in was in Nashville, got traded to Minnesota for Luke Cunnin, Um and he's a guy that had a really good season this year for Minnesota. Um, a guy that can play either wing, guy who could play second or third line for the Bruins, first line if you needed him to. You know, he's a guy that is a good goal scorer, but is also just a really creative offensive player that I think this the. Almost said the Celtics. The Bruins definitely need more of, especially lower in the lineup. Um, so I had the Bruins signing him to a four-year, five million dollar or four-year, twenty million dollar deal, five per year. Um, and so why I think Minnesota might actually do this? They have about like twenty or so million in cap space, but they do need to re-sign Kirill Kaprizov, and they do need to re-sign Joel Eriksson who had a really good season. And they're also probably going to lose Matt Dumba in the expansion draft. Um, And so I think that, you know, there's a team that might not feel like they can bring Kevin Fiala back. They might not be able to have enough money to bring him back. So I think if you're Minnesota and you don't think you're going to bring him back, you know, you offer him for a trade so that you don't lose him to free agency for nothing. So um, I could see Minnesota accepting this type of offer, you know, And I'll just say this. This is just an example for Kevin Fiala. I think he would be a good fit here. But I think that the Bruins, this trade is maybe more about the three things that they're giving up. I think that, in theory, you would want to try to get a winger. Does it have to be Kevin Fiala? No. You know, it could be someone that's under contract, a younger player. I don't know exactly who that would be, but Kevin Fiala is just kind of, an example of a player that I think would fit really well with the Bruins. You know, could that trade package be better? Yeah, probably. You probably could include a couple more picks in there. Um, But I just think Jake Dabrowski has played his last game in Boston. And um, I think just giving him a fresh start in a different place would do him really well. I also think the same thing for, for Vakanainen. I just think that his opportunity to get ice time was this season and it never really materialized. The Bruins kind of went with Zaboral instead, and he played really well. So I think that you are going to see and or Zaboral get traded um, this summer. Also, another move that I think is going to happen is this uh, Seattle Kraken are going to select Jeremy Lausanne in the expan- in the expansion draft. Um, so I just think Lausanne is who they're going to pick because I think he has higher upside than a Connor Clifton. You know, I know that there is value, to Connor Clifton because he's not making, I don't think he's making as much money and he can play left and right side. But I just think for Clifton, he's a guy that really can't play regular top four minutes, that he's a guy that probably is just going to play bottom, bottom pair minutes his whole career. I think that Lausanne is a player that has the potential to be a top four defenseman probably not a top pair guy but i think that he has a higher ceiling um than at clifton so that's why i think seattle makes this makes this trade so now we're going to get into the unrestricted free agents for the bruins so i have quite a few of the players that they i think should resign but then i think they'll also make some moves as well so taking a look at the guys who i think that they'll bring back taylor hall tops the list here um Great article from Ty Anderson on Twitter uh, the other day about Taylor Hall and what his you know contract might, might look like. Definitely go read that. Ty's a great um, Ty's a great resource for anything Bruins. Um, so I think Taylor Hall, you're giving him I'm going to say five years at five point seven five million a year. I think that he gets somewhere between five and six million. He's said that this contract is not really about the money. So I would think that he signs pretty far below what his, you know, typical market value probably should be for someone who's, you know, 29 years old in his prime. You know, I think typically you'd get someone that could make a big contract, but I think he's made it clear that he wants to be here in Boston. Doesn't really care about the money. Um, and I think, you see the same thing with David Krejci and Tuka Rask. So I think both of them come back. I think Krejci comes back for two years. I know that there's some people that, you know, based on some of the things he said in uh, a postseason press conference that, you know, might lead some people to believe that he might not come back. But, you know, I think that the Bruins will give him time, time, give him space, Um, but I think he'll ultimately return. So I have him signing a two-year deal Uh, 3.25 million per season. Um, And I think that Bruins most likely you're going to, and this is what I think that they should do this off season is really go all in because I really think that that window that you have is just about closed shut. And I think you kind of need to do whatever you can. And I also think that, you know, based on some of the things sweet and Neely said that they want to do their best to give it one more run with the group that they have. And so I think, this is why they would bring back David Krejci, because he played so well this past season. Still has got plenty left in the tank, so I think you see him return. I think Tuca comes back. I'm giving him two years here. I know that that's a little—might seem like a lot, but I think, you know, he'll miss probably half the season. This season, um, obviously, he's not going to make as much money per season as he did previously. I think you give him two years for $3 million per season, so $2 million. Two years for six million. Um, I also think the Bruins bring back Mike Riley. Um, I think that there's a possibility he could get more money than what I think the Bruins will give him. I have him a three-year, uh, nine million dollar deal, and three million uh, per season. Um, I think like a, a double, like double his um, old contract in Ottawa. I think makes sense, and I think you get bring him for. Kind of a smaller deal. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a larger deal um, and goes to another team. But you know, I'd like to have him back. I thought that he was really solid in his his showing with the Bruins this season. Um, so now we're going to get to some players that I think that they will that they should bring in from other teams. Um, Alec Martinez is someone I'd like to see them sign. You know, I think that he's a little bit older, you know, is a guy that I think can stand up to some physical play, but he's also won. He's won a couple championships, you know. Yeah, he's 33, so he's a little older, but is a guy that has championship experience and a guy who really can play anywhere in your lineup. So um, I have him signing a two-year, uh, $10 million deal with the Bruins. I think that, you know, $5 million might be a little less than he might get, but, you know, he's 33 years old. So I think that The Bruins could look to bring him in. I think that they should. I think that he's a player that could really be a solid, versatile player. that could play top pair minutes if you need him to. But more likely, he'd probably play a second pair. But he can also be on the power play. You know, you can use him in a variety of different situations. So I think he would be a good signing. I think someone like Zach Bogosian, um, who I have the Bruins signing a one-year, $1 million deal with, I think he would be a good fit. I think that you need a Kevin Miller-type player, a player that's, you know, big and physical, can kill penalties, and, you know, can withstand a lot of big hits. And I think that he's someone who can, you know, he played almost the entire season with uh, the Maple Leafs, uh, played last year, played the year before with Tampa Bay. Um, I think that you just can't trust Kevin Miller to, Um, stay healthy and you can't trust him to be able to be on the ice for, you know, a good amount of the season. And, you know, he didn't hold up. And while it was from a dirty hit, it's just, you need more oomph back there. You need some stability. And I think Bogosian could be someone that they could bring in that really could give them some, some beef back there, but also someone that you can rely on to stay healthy. Um, I also think that the Bruins are going to bring in a vet goaltender um, because, you know, Tukarask is going to be out for probably half the season. I don't think it's enough to have Swayman and Vladar sharing the net, to be perfectly honest. Um, I also think that Swayman may not be in, may not be with the Bruins to start the season next year. Um, I think that Yes, he's a guy that I think definitely is the goalie of the future, but I think that you want to be very careful with how you manage him. And I think that starting him the season in Providence would not be a bad idea because that way he at least can get guaranteed ice time where I don't know if he'd necessarily get it here. You know, I think that they could use someone like Fladar as a backup and sign someone like James Reimer, like I have them signing. Now, you know, Reimer's just an example, but I think that, The Bruins will sign an older veteran goalie to just kind of help fill the net for, you know, half the season, whatever it is. And then you flip that goalie at the trade deadline for a team that's desperate for goaltending, and maybe you get a draft pick back. So that's my thought process there. Um, And then Blake Coleman was my last unrestricted free agent. I think the Bruins got to get someone who can play on that third line, but someone who can put the puck in the net. He had 20 goals his last two seasons with the Devils, um, and has been a pretty solid offensive player, but he's also a guy that plays with energy. And so I think he'd be a great fit on your third line. I think that assuming the Bruins could bring in someone like Kevin Fiala, someone similar, you have that person play on the second line, and then you have Blake Coleman be on that third line so you can move Craig Smith back to the third line where I think he's a better fit with Charlie Coyle. Um, And I think the biggest thing with Coyle is you need to surround him with guys that are going to be consistent guys that you don't have to be unsure about what they're going to give you. Jake DeBrusk has been in the NHL for four seasons. The effort's just n- never really been consistent enough in the last few years. And so I think you need to have someone that you have that you can rely on more. Um, and so I think you'd see a much better third line this season and not a revolving door of guys that had Carson Coleman you know, in that lineup latent Islanders series, because you couldn't rely on the guys that you had previously. So I think what you're looking at is, you know, the top line being the same, a second line of Hall, Krejci and Fiala, third line of Coyle, Coleman and Craig Smith. And then you put uh, Trent Frederick on that fourth line with Lazar and Wagner. You don't re-sign Corrales. I think that would be a mistake if they did, um, and then the decor, you know, looks like this. You got Grizzly McAvoy can still be that top pair, and you but you can have a second pair of Martinez and Carlo, and you can play Mike Riley on the third pair with Zach Bogosian or Connor Clifton or you know whoever that's going to be. Um, John Moore is also a guy that's probably going to return for the Bruins next season. Uh, missed most of it, missed I think almost all of this season with uh, like hip surgery, so I think he might be back in the fold. Um, obviously you'll have Kuhlman in the fold, you'll have Zaborl, uh Jack Sean, uh, Stednika obviously is going to be in there too. Um, you know, I don't know. I'd be curious to see what their plan is with, with Jack Stednika, but, you know, he'll be someone that'll be around, and then I think obviously Rask will probably start the year on the long-term IR, you know, and then I think you have a guy like Reimer who can start. So, Um, that's kind of what I see in terms of what I'd like them to do, the most ideal offseason. Now, again, is the Kevin Fiala thing super realistic? You know, maybe not, but I think that just the principle of trying to package a couple of young players and a draft pick and see if you can get a top six forward that can score, that's really just the idea behind that move. It doesn't need to be... Kevin Fiala exactly but I think he would be a good fit and I also think logically Minnesota could trade him I don't think it's out of the question that they could look to trade him so you know that's just an example you know I think James Reimer is also just an example of an old you know veteran goalie Um, so you know I think with all those moves if you know not saying the Bruins are going to do all those moves exactly, but I think if they do something similar to that, you could you could have a really good team next year. Um, so definitely look to see what, what happens next with, with the Bruins. But um, that's all I got. We'll move on to what quick expansion prediction um, for what I think Seattle will look like. So, you know, again, I think that obviously it's not going to be perfect. This is my uh, official Well, this is my first official go at looking at what an expansion roster could look like, Um, but I think we'll probably do this again when it gets closer to the time, Um, and maybe there's potentially... You get get the idea of who is going to be on those protected lists, which I don't think those are finalized until a few days before it. I think the draft is the 21st of July, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll just quickly mention each of the players that I think will be picked from each team. So we'll start with the Bruins, you know, already explained that I think Lozon is going to be the pick from the Bruins. I'm going to stay with defense with the idea here. Um, And obviously I'm imagining that all these players I'm mentioning are going to be left unprotected. There's a possibility. Some of these guys could get protected. Um, But here's what I think the defense will look like. So there are 11 names on here. Um, I think from the Flames, Mark Giordano, I think that he's a solid pick because, you know, he's got one year left in his contract, can still play at a relatively high level. You know, he is 37, but I think can still be a number one type defenseman. So I think you see him get picked. Uh, Matt Dumba from the Wild, I think that that's a fairly obvious pick. Uh, The Avalanche are going to have plenty of options here, but I think Seattle goes with Ryan Graves. Um, Matt Roy from the Kings, a right-shot defenseman who's um, under contract for a few more years, so I think I like that. Um, Eric Chernak, I think, is someone that's going to go to Seattle. I think that Tampa Bay also is going to be a team that Seattle's going to have a lot of good options. You know that Tampa Bay is going to want them to take Tyler Johnson, but I don't believe that's going to happen you know, unless there is a trade that happens. But um, I think they take Chernak from the Lightning, uh, Radim Radim Simek from the uh, Sharks, Scott Mayfield from the Islanders, who's had a really good postseason. Um, I think he could be a really good fit in Seattle. Uh, Caleb Jones, Caleb Jones from the Oilers, uh, Travis Dermott from the Maple Leafs, and uh, Will Borgen from the Buffalo Sabres. So that's what I think the defense looks like. Um, in terms of goaltending, Braden Holtby, I think, is who they're going to take. I think that he's a veteran goalie, has won before, you know, hasn't had, has had kind of a rocky start in, um, in Vancouver. But I think, again, he's on the last year of his contract. You see what he's got. If he plays really well, maybe he plays you into, into, into contention. But if he doesn't, it's like, ah, whatever. You know, you have, um... You him being a free agent the year after, so you're not stuck with a long-term contract. So I think that's who they're taking there. Uh, Caden Fulcher, I think they take from the Red Wings. Admittedly, I don't know too much about him, but I think it would make sense for Vegas to bring in a goalie that's on a minor's contract that, you know, someone that can be under contract will be a restricted free agent next summer. But I think that that would be a smart move. I also think that, you know, you kind of want to stay young at the goaltending position, so I think they take Vanacek from the Capitals and Aiden Hill from the Coyotes. Um, Aiden Hill is a restricted free agent this summer, but I think with an expansion team, you're probably going to see them take a couple of restricted free agents, you know, guys that probably aren't going to be due for a big raise, but players that can be re-signed rather easily. So... That, I think, is what the goaltending will look like, and that's honestly a pretty good foursome of goalies, guys that can be under team control. And you have an older veteran in Holtby that, you know, if he by some reason turns back the clock and has a really good season, you know, he could play you into into contention. Um, so now he gets the forwards. There are a lot of guys that I think really could be... It could It could be different on any, like... Seattle could go a million different ways in terms of forwards. Um, I think there are a couple players that I think are rather obvious picks, but outside of that, they really could go any which way. Um, I think, for me, the most obvious pick is Van Reemsdyke. I think he might be actually the most obvious pick in the forward group. I'm not going to say overall, because I think Matt Dumba is the most obvious pick in terms of any player on the team. But I think Van Riemsdyk probably is going to be among the forwards from Philly, Um, I had Seattle taking Adam Henrique from the Ducks. You know, I think they could go another route here, but I think that Henrique's a guy that can still perform and still put up some points. Uh, Paul Byron, I think they take from the Canadians. Um, Jared McCann is another guy that I think is a very obvious pick. McCann's uh, a very, very good offensive player. You know, is going to be a restricted free agent next summer, so he still has a very good kind of team-friendly deal. Uh, Sammy Blay, I think that they take from the Blues. Nick Paul from the Senators. Kevin Stenland from the Blue Jackets. Ryan Carpenter from Chicago. Uh, Mason Appleton from the Winnipeg Jets. Mason Marchmont from the Panthers. And then the Rangers, I have them taking Kevin Rooney. I think there's a possibility that they could take Colin Blackwell, too. Uh, Tanner Kiro from the Stars. Steven Lawrence from the Hurricanes, Yakov Trenin from the uh, Predators, who I think are going to have a lot of good options uh, for Seattle, and then Yanni, Yanni Kowokunen from the Devils, who is a restricted free agent. So uh, looking at this roster for unrestricted free agents, the cap hit comes under just $62 million. Salary cap is at $81 million. So... With this roster, I think they're supposed to sign or they're supposed to draft at least 20 players that are under contract for next season, have to draft draft at least, I think, nine defense, 10 forwards and three goalies. I think that they take four goalies. I think that they go a little over on defense rather than forwards. I think you always want to be as deep as you possibly can on defense, you know, and you can also be open to trade certain guys. So I think that that's my first crack at a Seattle, uh, expansion draft. I think that, you know, probably I will do another one as we get closer to the, as we get closer to the, to the actual date. Um, so now we will get into the games, uh, series and games still going on in the NHL took a little bit of a bird walk there, but, you know, I figure Bruins aren't really in it kind of need to get some Bruins stuff in there and then, Uh, Seattle so the Montreal Canadiens are in the Stanley Cup final with the game six over game six win over Vegas last night I gotta be honest I was really surprised at this series Um, you know Montreal is a team that has gotten hot and they've stayed hot and they've been a team that has played really really well together you know and I think that just talked about this a few a little while ago but they're a team that can get goals from anywhere. You know, they have a, a great, very talented forward group. You know, you think of guys like Caulfield, who's just putting on a show in these, in these playoffs. He's been a real joy to watch. And you got guys like Nick Suzuki um, that have also played really well. But then you also have guys like Yoel Armia. You know, Arturi Lekanen, who scored the series-winning goal last night. Um, you know, and then Corey Perry, Eric Stahl. Um, you have guys all over the lineup that can put pucks in the net, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that makes a team really good and can help a team go on a deep run. It also helps to have great goaltending. You know, Carey Price really is an all-time great. You know, but do you need an all-time great to win a cup? No, not necessarily. But you just need a goalie that's going to make big-time saves. Montreal has been unbelievable killing penalties. I think they've only allowed three power play goals the entire playoffs. So obviously they've been really good. And then you have the decor that is really good and structured. You have guys that can stand up and withstand the physical play of the playoffs. You know, you have Shea Weber, who's been doing that pretty much his whole career. And then you have guys like Edmondson, Ben Sherratt, and uh, Jeff Petrie, who are solid defensemen. That, you know, I think you add up all three of those elements this timely scoring, good goaltending, and good defensive structure—you're gonna, you're gonna be able to beat almost anyone if you can do that effectively. And Montreal's done that effectively, um, and really, you know, found their groove in the playoffs. They're not the first team to do this. If you remember the um, eight-seeded Kings from all those years ago, go into the playoffs with, you know, really no pomp and circumstance around them. And they just, you know, mess around and just win a Stanley Cup, you know, and launch a a mini dynasty. So, you know, it can happen. So, you know, kudos to Montreal. They're playing so well, but uh, Vegas really just um, lost this series, too. You know, I think a lot of people say, oh, did a team win the series? Did a team really lose? But with credit to Montreal, they were great. But Vegas could not get goals from the guys that they needed to score. You know, and I think that that was one of the biggest reasons they got eliminated. You know, Mark Stone, Max Baccioletti, that line of Riley Smith, March or so, and Carlson really were neutralized in this series. The Knights really just couldn't find their groove in this series. I think that there was a lot of questionable goaltending decisions in this series, too. You know, you look at Vegas dropping two of the first three, you know, they pull Marc-Andre Fleury after he makes that mistake in game three, which I thought was a little bit premature. I thought that was a little bit, you didn't need to pull him for game four, but they pull the, they pull the trigger and Leonard comes in and plays really well in game four. The Knights tie the series. And then, you know, Peter DeBoer puts Fleury back in there for game five. And it just was like, what are you thinking? You know, you play the goalie that just played really well for you and won a game. They go back to flurry, and that's really where they lost the series. You lose game five at home, you know? And it's just it's like, I'm really not sure what what the, what the DeBoer is thinking with that decision. So, um, but obviously, big part of it, Vegas couldn't get goals when they needed to from the guys that they, you know, thought were going to be their big guns in the playoffs. Mark Stone... Disappeared in this series, and I think that that's mostly a credit to Montreal and how good they were defensively, and how good Carey Price was. So, um, yeah, if I'm Vegas, I'm very disappointed because I think that this was a year, this was a season that I really think, at how the playoffs went, you know, you 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 had a, a, a decently a decent path to to a championship. You know, you had a team in Montreal that. Play, playing obviously very well in the playoffs, but a team that they should have beat. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what's next for Vegas. But um, I think, yeah, they'll come away from this season being pretty disappointed. Um, but Montreal's moving on. Stanley Cup final will start on Monday. I believe that it will be in either New York or Tampa Bay, depending on Game 7 tonight. Um, so... Just some other notes from hockey before we get to a Game 7 preview. Uh, Dave Haxtell is hired as the first coach in uh, Seattle Kraken history. That uh, was just announced yesterday, so he will be the new coach, the um, head man behind the Seattle bench. So, you know, interesting to see how that, you know, maybe affects how, Seattle's, how Seattle drafts. Uh, very curious to see how how he does with, with Seattle that first season, um, in the fall. Also, there was some news that Mark Messier is joining the ESPN uh, team as an NHL studio analyst for for the hockey broadcast this season. So great stuff there. Great to have a couple legends. You have uh, Wayne Gretzky on TNT, Mark Messier and ESPN. This will be really fun, really interesting. Um, so, obviously, we got a Game Seven. <laughs> Uh, Lightning and Islanders, I gotta be honest. I'm a little surprised that we're going to Game 7, but I also figured that the Islanders were better equipped to to play Tampa Bay this 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 playoff season. And I think that they proved that going to Game 7, where you know, neither team really has gotten their footing in this series. You know, you've had kind of like it might not be exactly alternating wins, but It kind of feels that way, you know? It felt like the Islanders really were back in the series after tying the series in Game 4. And then... Come into Game 5, and get absolutely obliterated. Lightning put up 8 goals in that Game 5. And you're figuring, okay, you know, the Lightning probably going to win too much power offensively. But then the Islanders came back, rallied from a two-goal deficit in Game Six, win the game in overtime, and now we're now we're talking about a Game Seven. We're talking about a game that uh, Nikita Kucherov may not be playing in. You know, left Game Six with an injury and is you know uncertain for this game tonight. I would be shocked if he doesn't play. Um, I'll be perfectly honest. I'd be shocked if he doesn't play for a Game Seven. But you know, credit to the Islanders, they played some really good hockey. I really think this game goes either way tonight. Um, I think Tampa Bay, obviously being the home team, you probably would expect them to win, but I think that they'd be playing under a lot of pressure um, to you know get back to the Stanley Cup final. Um, so you know I think it's going to be a big game tonight. I think expect it to be a low scoring game. the low scoring the better for the Islanders. and honestly, I think that they come away with a win tonight. I do th- I think that they do. I think Tampa Bay you know, blew an opportunity to take the series in Game 6, you know, close it out in New York. But something tells me the Islanders win tonight. So um, I think that expect some goals from unexpected places because that's usually what you see in a Game 7. But it seems like Andre Vasilevsky is, you know, not really playing at the level that you would expect late in this series. So I think, you know... It's probably a 2-1 game, 3-1, 3-2, something like that. You know, The more high scoring it gets, obviously it's going to favor the Lightning, but a lot's going to hinge on uh, Nikita Kucherov and whether he plays or not. So I'd be curious to see, but I honestly like the Islanders tonight. I think that they get it done, and as much as it pains me to say, we'll see more games at the freaking Coliseum. (laughs) Um, But in all seriousness, the Islanders have been... A really good team this postseason you know I think that a lot of people went into this east east meets uh central matchup and thinking that Tampa Bay would beat them in five games but you know I think the Islanders better equipped to play with the lightning this year and I think it might pay off with uh, a game seven win so game seven tonight eight o'clock on NBCSN um, and then Stanley Cup Final will start on Monday. Have to go look at the point totals um, of. I just can't remember if the Islanders have more points than than Montreal. I think that they do, and so I think the final either would start in in New York or in Tampa Bay um, on Monday. So we'll we will see, but we'll keep you updated with the rest of the NHL, more Bruin stuff, and all that. So. Uh, Without further ado, let's move on, get to some Major League Baseball. And yes, the foreign substance thing is, uh, it looked like it was getting out of control the other night with uh, Joe Girardi asking to check Max Scherzer uh, three times um, in that game because he maybe thought that he was uh, having a foreign substance somewhere on his body. Um, yeah, imagining you guys saw the replay, Max Scherzer was, um, yeah, about ready to, like, strip naked on the field. It was actually a pretty funny sight, to be perfectly honest, but it's just gotten out of hand that a point that we have to get to a point where this is happening. And a lot of people will say, oh, like, it's it's hilarious, it's great content. Now, yeah, yeah it, it kind of is from that perspective, like, I get it, but at the same time it's so ridiculous and out of hand that i think baseball overreacted to this type of stuff um, and i think really what they should have done address this before the season starts go into the season with this is what the rules are this is what it's going to be but now we're changing things halfway through the season because baseball is upset that there are too many no hitters and it's just like it's it's such a it's such a weird thing because yes You want to protect the integrity of the game, and talked about this. But, you know, scandals like this and cheating, even, if you will, it's a part of baseball. It's been a part of baseball since the inception of the game. If you want to go back to the, the, the Black Sox scandal, you know, it's part of the game, sadly. And I think, well, yes, baseball should not be encouraging that type of behavior. It's just like you need to do a better job than handling it the way that it's been handled. You know, and now you have pitchers and, you know, and I, and I know that a lot of people think that this is pitchers being, you know, drama queens. But it's just like, I don't know, imagine trying to be a pitcher and every half inning a manager is like, oh, go check his cap to see if he's, you know, doctoring baseballs. And it's just like, I don't know, it's just it's gotten out of hand and I don't really know if there's something that needs to be fixed does there need to be a a better baseball, you know, probably does there need to be a different baseball. Yeah, you know, probably, Um, but it's, it's, it's just crazy. It's gotten out of hand and it'll be curious to see, you know, what happens. I think you probably will see someone get suspended sooner or later. Um, But I don't know, you know, I don't know really if there's going to be someone that is going to try to, you know, cheat and, you know, try to doctor a baseball, but it's, I don't know. You have to be, you have to be, like, I just can't believe the, the, I just can't believe that Manfred thinks that this has been, like, going over well. Like, I, I know that that's what he said a couple of days ago, and it's just, like, it's really not turning out well, and I just think he's totally just... I don't know, baseball really just dropping the ball on this. So uh, before I get too much into that, it makes sense to talk about the Red Sox and their uh, frustrating uh, series against the Rays that came to an end last night. Red Sox lose two out of three, and there was a lot of stuff being thrown around about the Red Sox pulling Nick Pavetta uh, with two outs in the seventh inning, having a no-hitter going, having 100 pitches thrown. But it was in a scoreless game. And I think that was why that they took. That's why they took him out of the game, um, because I think, you know, when you're that many pitches in, it's you know, it's it's risky. And I think it would have been different if the Red Sox were up two to two, three to nothing. I think it would have been different in that scenario. Then it would have been like, okay, you keep him in there, see how long you can go. But in a scoreless game, where really every pitch matters, you can't really afford to take that chance. And I know that there are people that were upset about it, but I think you have to consider what the score of the game is. Um, and the Red Sox, you know, turn it over to the bullpen. It seemed like everything was going pretty well. Red Sox get through the 7th, get through the 8th. Matt Barnes gets the first two outs of the ninth, and then all hell breaks loose. You know, a single, an error, and then a wild pitch, and the Rays win the game one to nothing on a walk-off wild pitch. And the Red Sox lose two out of three to a team that, you know, is going to be a team that they are going to be fighting all season long. Um, and so, you know, really just a tough loss. It really seemed like it was off to a good start. Red Sox won 9-5 to five in a really exciting extra innings game on Tuesday night, in which a, a game that had a lot in it, you know, number of home runs, Wander Franco with his first career home run, for Tampa Bay, Red Sox win it in the 11th inning with four runs. You know, it just, you know, a game. games like this will happen. Um, it's just frustrating that, you know, the Red Sox could not get any runs across. There were a couple of base running errors last night, which you don't really expect to see very often. Um, and so, you know, yeah, it may have cost the Red Sox the game. Uh, and, you know, they lose two out of three. Now it's not end of the world in the standings. Red Sox still just a half game out of sec out of first place. But you gotta be careful. You don't want that game turning into a trend with the Red Sox welcoming the Yankees to Fenway and the Yankees have started to play a little bit better. You know, they're not breathing down the Red Sox neck exactly, but they're a team that if you're not careful, they could sweep you and they could get right back in the division race. So the Red Sox really have to have a short memory. Um with this series against the Yankees this weekend. So, um, you know, it's frustrating, but it's a long season. You're going to have losses like this. You're going to have stretches where, you know, you're going to have certain areas of your game just not be at their best. And I think, you know, you're going through some pitching stuff right now. Um, It has nothing to do with, you know, the crackdown and whatever you want to say that all the Red Sox definitely were cheating because look how badly they're pitching now. And it's just like, there are ebbs and flows to a season, and there are some people that that should know that, you know, rather than just taking this low-hanging fruit. That oh, they're definitely were cheating because look how bad they're pitching now. It's like you should know better. Um, but I think, again, it's just the ebbs and flows of a season. The Red Sox are 13 games over 500 in a season that a lot of people probably didn't think they were ever going to be 13 games over 500 this season. But it's here. The Red Sox have have played themselves into contention. Um, And I think it's important to have, you know, expectations. Um, But I also think, like, this team's playing much better than anyone thought. Um, And I think that it's fair to just say, like, okay, they're just in a little bit of a pitching rut. You know, I think they can get out of it. I think they definitely need some reinforcements. Um, We'll get to that in a moment. But... You know, you still have guys that are that are hitting really well. Your offense is is keeping you in games, is winning you some games. Yes, they've you know lost two out of three to Kansas City, you know one of the worst teams in baseball, and then you dropped two out of three to Tampa. Um, but I think that obviously you still have some guys that are that are hitting really well. You know, Devers and Bogarts have been atop of you know your your lineup the last couple, the last last number of weeks, um, and have been playing really well you know, one of the issues the Red Sox have had is that lack of a leadoff hitter. Um, and the Red Sox are really struggling uh, to find a cons- find consistency. You know, I think the thought process was you get someone like Hernandez and he's hitting 230. He's not been able to get on base, which is really the biggest thing when you're batting the leadoff that you want to get on base. I mean, the Red Sox big hitters have been hitting really well. You know, I think Martinez has been hitting really well, Bogarts obviously, Devers too, and then Verdugo, but you know, outside of that, the Red Sox are really struggling to find consistent offense. Bobby Dahlbeck, I will say, has been starting to hit better over the last couple of weeks. Um, You know, he's now up to nine home runs, 32 RBIs, hitting 209, Um, but they really need to find some consistency in in that leadoff role, so I'm curious to see you know, as the trade deadline gets closer to the Red Sox, try to acquire someone that they think can be an effective leadoff hitter because you're not really getting anything in that, in that area right now. So it'll be interesting, you know, Red Sox and the Yankees three games set at Fenway this weekend, uh, Red Sox obviously coming off the sweep at Yankee stadium a few weeks ago. So be curious to see how the Yankees try to respond. Um, but I think if you're the Red Sox, you just got to have a short memory. And you have to, you know, when you're playing and you're playing a 162-game season. You need to have a short memory. You know, bad losses are going to happen. You're going to have games where you, you know, question question the coaching staff and you question some of the decisions that they make. But the Red Sox are in the position that they're in, you know, because guys have played, I think, a lot better than expectation. Um and that's really what's what's gotten you here and you know can they stay there I think is huge is the big question you know speaking of reinforcements uh Chris Sale will be throwing to hitters this weekend so you know that gives you another idea of where he kind of is in his step to coming back you know I would think that you have him back by sometime sometime in July um you know, maybe it's near the trade deadline. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking all along. And he acts as kind of a trade deadline acquisition, but the Red Sox do seriously need to think about bringing in perhaps another starter, another relief pitcher, and definitely see if they can get someone that can, you know, get on base consistently, and someone that they can throw in that leadoff spot, um, and and you know, get on base and set the table for. Um, the big guys on this on this roster. Um, so, some other news. There been some news about who might be um, who might be playing in the um, home run derby. Um, you have uh, Alonzo, who won the won the tournament two years ago. Um, Otani is going to be in it as well. Sounds like Vlad Guerrero Jr. will sit out. Um, So I think that that's what you're going to see there. I'm not sure who else is going to participate. I wouldn't expect any Red Sox players uh, to be in it. Um, Be curious to see who else participates in it. Um, So that's kind of all we got for baseball. However, there is one last little note that I wanted to get to. The Red Sox will be having a special retirement ceremony this evening uh, for Dustin Pedroia, who had announced his retirement in the offseason. And, you know, there's a lot of positive things you can say about him um, and how much he's meant to the Red Sox and the organization. And, you know... So many of us as fans that have you know watched him for so many years and you know all the stories that 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 have come out about him being just a, a guy that doesn't quit a guy that is just such a competitor and you know something that kept him going the last couple of years when he's tried to make you know a couple of, you know various comebacks to try to come back um, and try to be someone that can play but you know, ultimately, just didn't work out. But you know, obviously, it doesn't take away from how special he was as a Red Sox. How special you know he is even now to the organization. Um, but really, just kind of the the poster boy for some of those championships. You know, you think to two thousand seven. You know, the scrappy young guy that he was, winning Rookie of the Year, and then winning MVP the next season. You know, it was really a part of those Red Sox teams in the late 2000s and kind of ushering in that new era, you know, even, you know, while Ortiz was here, you know, and then the two of them together on that 13 championship that was so special for so many reasons, you know, but then also being a part of that 18 championship, maybe not in a playing playing capacity but a capacity of just being there for teammates and, you know, it being a reason why the Red Sox were able to win that world series, um, in, in Los Angeles. So, you know, big props to him, had a heck of a career. I don't really want to get into the hall of fame conversation because he's probably not a hall of famer, but, you know, means so much to the Red Sox team, the organization, and so many of us as fans, you know, so, uh, Congratulations, Dustin, on your retirement. You know, if you're not doing anything tonight, definitely tune into Nesson at six thirty for the for the uh, presentation, which I'm sure is going to be uh, really special, probably really emotional. But you know, you should expect that when you know guys like this retire, and you know, you should consider yourself lucky, or we should consider ourselves lucky that we've been able to to witness guys like that, because it's like guys like that that, you know, 50 years from now, people are going to be telling stories like, oh, my gosh, like Dustin Pedroia really was, was something else. So um, definitely kudos to Dustin and uh, happy, happy retirement for him. So that probably does it for uh, baseball. I think that it makes sense to uh, talk about uh, the NFL for a, a short little bit. Not a whole lot of news with the NFL. You know, really the biggest news in the last two days or so: the Steelers uh, releasing David DeCastro, who might need surgery for his ankle. Uh, the NFL also is okaying alternate color helmets in 2022. So, obviously not this season, but season after. So, some people being like, "Oh, the Patriots, maybe they'll bring back you know the old Pat Patriot." And the, you know, old school red jerseys. And, you know, yeah, it's it's pretty cool, but you know, it's just like I don't know. I feel and I'm, maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm weird on this, but I feel like you've seen it once, you've seen it a million times, and yeah, it would be neat to see the Patriots wearing those jerseys. Might be interesting to see Mac Jones wearing one of those. I know a lot of people are putting are plastering Cam Newton all over those, but Cam Newton's probably not going to play for the Patriots in 2022. I'll just be honest. Um, You know, unless something crazy happens. Um, But I do want to say that the biggest news story that has come out of the NFL in the last week is um, Carl Nassib um, announcing via Instagram that he um, has come out as gay. And I think that it's, I think it's great. You know, I think that it's, something that is just so important to bring visibility to and, you know, show everyone that, you know, it can be, you know, it's, and this is something I've thought about the last couple of days is that, you know, hopefully it can signal a change that we can get to a point in society where players, you know, can do this like it's a normal thing, you know, and not have to feel any type of, you know, stigma or anything like that. And, you know, the, maybe, maybe the fear, you know, I don't, I don't, I feel weird speaking on this because I don't know, you know, Carl personally, but I think that, you know, it's, it's so important for, you know, young athletes, you know, that are that are gay that they can see a professional athlete on a professional team and they can he can be someone that they look up to you know and I think that it's something that I don't think you know I don't it's it's maybe not a lot of pressure on Carl exactly but I just think like he's someone that's you know aware of the challenges and said that you know, I'm do you know going to do this for me and do something that, you know, makes me feel the most comfortable. And I think that it's, it's awesome. I think it's great because I think that it's, it's time that, you know, we start seeing more athletes that are, that, that, that come out in sports because I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's needed. It's needed to have, you know, visibility, you know, like I've talked about with, visibility of 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 black players in hockey that I think that it's it's important for you know athletes that are that are coming up to see players that are like them you know and I think that it really just it goes a long way and I think that this is going to go a long way and I think that you know hopefully the NFL and the sports world has you know come a long way since Michael Sam came out. I can't remember if it was 2014 or 2016. I think it was 2014 when he got drafted. But, you know, hopefully things have progressed to a point that, you know, players feel comfortable with Carl as their teammate. And I think that, you know, that's the biggest thing in in sports is being a good teammate, you know, supporting teammates. And I think that the teammates on the Raiders hopefully can... You know, support him to the the level that 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 you need to be as a teammate, so you know I think that it's it's great it was great to see you know great to see that uh Carl's Jersey is you know a very popular seller on fanatics at the at the moment, so you know I think it just was it was an awesome bit of news that uh came out on Monday that was um just really neat, really neat to see, and hopefully we get to a point where you know, more athletes are comfortable, um, in, you know, sharing, sharing their truth. So, um, that was really, really excellent to see. Um, so obviously wish Carl the best and, you know, you may remember him if you had watched hard knocks, uh, he was on hard knocks with the Browns a couple of years ago. Um, and it was pretty entertaining. So, um, you know, best to best to him, into the rest of his football career, and hopefully it 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 opens it opens a lot of doors um, for a lot of a lot of young athletes. Um, so that probably probably does it for football. Move on to talk a little a little soccer. Uh, Revolution are back, and they are back in a big way. Uh, two big wins uh, this week um, over the weekend. They had a. I think it was a three, both three-two wins. They had a three-two win over NYCFC, which is a really fun, exciting game. Revs win three to two. They were up two to one. I think that they led one nothing and two to one, and then were able to get the win. Tommy McNamara getting the winning goal. Uh, John Bell, the rookie, getting his first goal um, in that I think the second Revs goal against NYCFC. So they get the win there, three to two. Um, and then they beat the Red Bulls on Wednesday at Gillette. Revs have won five straight games, seven two and one on the season. Twenty three points. They now have built a five point cushion for first place in the Eastern Conference. Revs still a point behind Seattle for that top spot in the league. But uh, I mean, what 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 can you say about this Revs team? They've just been so outstanding. You know, Matt Turner, player of the week two weeks ago. And then Carlos Seal getting, <laughs> getting a uh, player of the week this week. So, you know, things are really starting to look up. Matt Turner was unbelievable in that NYCFC game. That was one of the best goaltending performances I've seen in the soccer game. He was unbelievable in that game. Made some crazy saves, made a save on a penalty kick and a couple of, you know, using a hockey term here, but high danger chances. Um, And then Carlos Gil, Gustavo Bow, Adam Buxa, all three of them playing really well. You got a couple guys, um, Tejan Buchanan getting a goal on Wednesday night, Dewan Jones as well. So the Revs are really getting everyone involved. Um, So it's been a really fun season. Revs playing at a really high level, which is, you know, not something that we've seen from this team in a very long time, but it's really exciting. It's awesome to see that they're playing so well and you know, If you are a, a fan of, of soccer and you're a you know, big New England sports person, definitely get behind this team because I have a feeling they're going to do some special things this year. And if you're still feeling down about the Bruins, you can watch a New England team doing really well. So um, it just keeps rolling for the Revolution. Um, obviously, Carlos Heel playing really, really well as a goal and eight assists on the season. And the Revolution have their next game this weekend in Dallas against FC Dallas on Sunday. The uh, game is at 9 o'clock, so you can tune into that um, if you would like to see the Revs in action. They've won their last five games and have only lost one game on the season, the game in Nashville, um, on May 8th. So the Revolution have gone quite a while since a loss, so it would be interesting to see what they can do with a couple of away, away games coming in the next two weeks against FC Dallas and then against Columbus. So as far as the UEFA Euro, they are now in the knockout stage, got finalized on Wednesday with a number of group matchups. So the 16-team uh, field is set for the uh, round of 16. Next round is the quarterfinals. I think I erroneously said that in various conversations with people this week, but you um, we have a pair of games that will be on tomorrow. Um, Denmark and Wales and Italy and Austria. So those two games will be tomorrow afternoon, I believe, and then Sunday afternoon, uh, Czech Republic and Netherlands, and then Belgium and Portugal. This is probably one of the games to circle. Um, if you are into the, the international soccer, is this is going to be... A really exciting game, obviously. Ronaldo has been really good in this tournament. Belgium, the number one team in the in the world. A lot of stars will be out for that game, so that will be very interesting. And then Monday, Croatia against Spain. This is an underrated game that I think could be really, really exciting. Uh, Croatia, obviously, the runner-up from the last World Cup. And then Spain, uh, really some concern about them going into their final group stage game, but they broke out with five goals. So that'll be an interesting game. Switzerland against France. This is also a game that could be a trap game for France. Uh, France is obviously probably the most talented team in the tournament, but they've not exactly looked themselves. Um, And I think Switzerland's a team that uh, could surprise them. So uh, this is a game that, you know, France definitely needs to be on their toes for this one. And then Tuesday, another big game, England against Germany. That will be really fun to watch. Um, and Sweden and Ukraine then'll play in the final round of 16 game um, and then we'll go to the quarterfinals after that so exciting stuff at at the euros so it uh, returns tomorrow afternoon with a couple of games I believe on ESPN and ABC uh, so before we go do some quick little notes on the WNBA um, the Olympic rosters have actually been announced I meant to announce the the men 's team. Um, So we'll take a look at the women's team at the moment. So what we're looking at is trying to find a roster for it. Hmm. I thought that I had found a roster, but, um, I do know that uh, Brittany Griner is on the team. Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, um, Tina Charles—just um, some names that are that are on the team at the moment. Um, they had released the official 12-team roster or 12-person roster um, the other day, so. Um and then on the men's team, Jason Tatum obviously will be going, uh Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, uh Durant, Zach Levine, Chris Middleton, just some names there. So in terms of the WNBA, uh we'll get back. Las Vegas and Minnesota play tonight at eight o'clock. Um, so definitely, you know, tune into some of these games. Um Take a look at the standings real quick here. Um, Just ESPN is not cooperating with me right now, Um, but take a look at the standings by conference. Uh, Seattle still top of the league at twelve and three. Uh, Connecticut's lead for first place in the East has disappeared a little bit as Chicago has won seven straight games. There's the game out of first. So Chicago, starting the season two and seven, has won have won their last seven games. Um, so they are at nine and seven. Connecticut nine and five, still in first. Um, Seattle with a one game lead over Dallas or uh, uh, over Las Vegas. Dallas is in third. Vegas is actually one five straight, so they've made it a little. They've uh, Seattle has very little breathing room at the moment. Um, so Las Vegas ten and three. Minnesota six and seven. Those two teams will play tonight. And. I think that probably, that probably does it for me this week. Um, Obviously, as always, go follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, listen on Spotify, listen on Apple podcasts, uh, give a rating if you'd like, give a review. I'd really appreciate it. Um, Always appreciate constructive criticism when it comes to, when it comes to stuff like this. So please let me know if there's, you know, anything more you'd like to hear about, you know, if you want me to, you know, reach out to more guests, I am doing that. So um, definitely, you know, support any any way you can. Um, and also, don't be afraid to check out my uh, latest article on Garrett Hayden Sports Media. I wrote a piece about Al Horford. So you can go check that out. Share it on Twitter and on Facebook. All right, everyone. Have a great weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you in July. So look forward to that.